Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And we are fucked. <laughs> this is the Attack on Titan special event. In honor of the epic conclusion to the show that defines this generation of anime, we're reviewing every single episode of the final season. This week, we're reviewing episode 80, From You 2,000 Years Ago. We have come full circle, people. As always, there'll be spoilers about anything that's happened in the Attack on Titan anime, so you've been warned. Talk about tight writing. Episode one <laughs> to you, 2,000 years from now, or whatever the fuck it was. And now we are here, episode 80 from you, 2,000 years ago. They took, had it ready from day one. It took so long, Aaron. Your, your letter finally arrived for a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what an, what an episode. And it, it's here. It's finally here. The rumbling is upon us. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. <laughs> it's just downhill from here. I know. They need to change the OP song from it's coming rumbling to like, it, it's here. The rumbling. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into all of that, um, a few housekeeping items as always. Um, thank you again for everyone rating us on Spotify. We appreciate it. If you're a Spotify listener and have a moment to spare, please leave us a rating on the iOS or Android app by hitting the star and then leaving a rating via that method. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that, but if you have time to do so, we would very much appreciate it. Also, we have launched our Discord server for the Strictly series. Thank you to everyone who's joined over the last couple of weeks. It's been fun talking to everybody, especially in our Attack on Titan chat. We have a channel dedicated to Attack on Titan so that people won't be spoiled as new episodes come out. Um, so we appreciate everyone being, uh, being so fun to chat with. And if you're considering joining the Discord server, the link is in the description. So we hope we see you there. I wanted to mention something fun, too, because I feel like we haven't talked about like... On a dark episode such <laughs> yeah, as On this? a dark episode. Let's talk about something <laughs> fun. Um, I don't know. We haven't done like a catch-up in a while, and I'm, I was thinking like, what's what's new with us? What, what's been going on with us? Um, and I actually have... It's kind of interesting, but I have a, um, a get-together with some of my friends on Friday. Um, it's kind of like an early Valentine's Day slash one of my friend's birthdays celebration. And for some reason, and I don't know where she got this idea. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Um, but she wanted to do a PowerPoint party where everyone makes a PowerPoint. Just like PowerPoint, something PowerPoint. <laughs> something fun on, on some topic. It could be funny. It could be informative. And then they just drunkenly share it to everyone else in the room um, as we're all downing a lot of alcohol. So I'm excited for it. It's, it's taking me back to like high school and college. So I asked her, I'm like, okay, I need to know, like, what are my limits on, like, the number of slides and my time limit? Is there a rubric? Like, how am I going to be graded on this? Um, but it just, like, makes me remember what it was like back then and the anxieties that come along with that because I hate public speaking. <laughs> That's it's, it's just such an odd thing for a friend to want to do at a party, but... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting, so. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. There's only 10 of us, um, so I really shouldn't be nervous because we're going to be, again, drinking alcohol and we're all very close friends. But I decided to do my topic on anime genres, but I have of to give course. you credit because you're the one who gave me this idea. So thank you for this idea. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> so I, I don't think any of my friends listen to the podcast because I'm the only one in our group of friends that watches anime, but they want to know more about anime. Um, so I think this is the, the perfect tie-in. And just briefly, I came up with a couple of different genres. I pulled the most 
popular genres in anime and some of them aren't technically genres but like they kind of capture the idea of certain types of um shows and then i matched it to one of my friends saying like this type of genre would be great for this friend um so i pulled wholesome anime it's kind of like again it's not an official genre right but there's like a whole subset of wholesome anime mm -hmm. And the examples I listed were Kiki's Delivery Service and all Studio Ghibli movies. Well, most of them anyway. Um, and then Teasing Master Takagi-san. Um, I did Educational, <laughs> which again is like not an official genre, but I put Cells at Work. And then I put Ranking of Kings because Boji is mute and deaf and they use sign language in that show. And they had, I think the Tokyo Foundation. Tokyo Federation for the deaf. Yes, um, supervising that. So it is legit sign language in that, sh in that show. And then I have sports. Um, I chose how heavy are the dumbbells you lift and Haikyuu, of course. Um, but there, there were a lot to choose from. Uh, for cinematic, again, not like an official genre, but um, it was, it, it's a category intended for our one friend who is kind of in that industry. Um, so I chose Demon Slayer and Attack on Titan, of course. It's mm -hmm. The subtitle is like anime with amazing animation, incredible writing, and noteworthy character development. I mean, those two are in the midst of blowing everyone's mind, so I thought those were perfect examples. And then I had comedy, um, mostly like the situational humor or the dumb humor. So I picked Konosuba and the Devil is a Part-Timer. And then for Slice of Life, I aired on more of the like dramatic, emotional side of things because my one friend loves to cry <laughs> when they watch things so i picked clonad and fruits basket i mean you can't get more emotional than those two you're gonna wreck them if they start watching <laughs> clonad. not that i've watched clonad but i know i know about it yeah this particular friend will definitely cry um if she watches those two shows then i picked gourmet because one of my friends is big into cooking and food and drinks so I picked the Gashi Kashi, which I have actually never seen, but I've heard about it. I think it's about like people who open up a snack shop. I could be wrong. And then I picked Food Wars, which I also have not seen, but my sister watches that, so I'm familiar with it. And I put the caveat that Food Wars is great, but etchy. And I put a gif of like three dudes trying some food and then their, their clothes explode off their body. <laughs> oh. So like if you watch this, just be ready for the etchy moments. And then I have romance, um, mostly like the rom-com side of things. I put my teen romantic comedy snafu and horimiya. And then, saving the best for last, I put the harem genre, which um, I put for the, an <laughs> for the anime fan who appreciates a good buffet. I don't know if my friends will know what a harem is. So I explained that it's anime about multiple girls competing for one guy, a harem, or multiple guys competing for one girl, a reverse harem. So on the harem side of things, I put the quintessential quintuplets, which I haven't seen, but I know is about five sisters competing for one guy. And then on the reverse harem side, I put Yona of the Dawn, which I have seen and I know is not like formal a reverse harem but it has some reverse harem elements in it and if anyone has seen that show the gif i put on the slideshow or the powerpoint was the gif of hawk eating the or licking the honey off of yona's hands so if you know that scene you know that scene <laughs> um and then i ended the slideshow with uh or the powerpoint with my three favorite anime jojo's bizarre adventure toradora and cowboy bebop and yeah i'll, I'll report back after friday 
for whatever recording we have um, after that day on their reactions or what kind of questions they had. Because again, they're very unfamiliar with anime. This is probably a horrible way to get them into yeah, anime. I was gonna say, you're, you're just throwing them straight into the lion's den instead of you know, easing them into gateway anime. It's like they're gonna... Especially for my friend in the gourmet category. I'm yeah, like, go it... watch Food Wars and watch like half naked people then, have yeah, food gasms. see all the, these etchy shots and I'll be like, what? I, I'd like to... I doubt you'd be able to just um, see a recording of their reactions, but... I'll do my best to describe their reactions, <laughs> especially for the category I associated or the genre I, I associated with them, um, especially my friend who I am associating the harem genre with. I, I, <laughs> That'll I know be the who, best one. I know who the friend is, and I think it's very fitting for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll uh, share some insight, um, some some highlights from my presentation uh, whenever we'd have our, our next episode that comes after this Friday. But enough about me. What's new with you? Anything new with you this week? <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like I stole the spotlight there for a second. <laughs> no, n nothing really new. I, I did catch up on some of my shows that I've been watching. Um, I, I, I've been watching School Rumble on the side just as a a nice breather from like the onslaught of seasonal anime. Uh, I only watched like maybe two or three episodes, which I think is still an accomplishment, at least for my uh, viewing habits. Um, I've been watching Orient, uh, talking about that, I think, in our Winter Impressions episode. It's, it's a very so-so anime, but I was just going to give it a shot because, you know, you have to have a nice mix of the good and the quote-unquote bad. Uh, yeah, kudos to you for sticking that one through. I I try my hardest not to drop anime, but man, I could not keep watching Orient. Yeah. Um and yeah, that's pretty much it. Like I've just been catching up on those shows. Um You've been having seasonals. a a pretty in-depth conversation on the Discord with um the other Star Wars fans yeah, about <laughs> the Boba Fett show? Yeah, the Book of Boba Fett, which I think I talked about on another episode. It might have been the regular strictly anime one. Or the Strictly JoJo, I don't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, the the season finale, or maybe series finale, I don't know if this will get a second season for Book of Boba Fett is tomorrow, and yeah, I don't I don't know what to expect. Um, I did talk with uh, JD from Anime Brothers, who was in our Discord, just chatting to him about it, and you know, like we. We think the show's pretty good. It's just that I think for a character, a Star Wars character as popular as Boba Fett, he, he's kind of being overshadowed by some of the other characters that have appeared in recent episodes. But yeah, other than that, like I think all the live action Star Wars TV series that have come out have been terrific. So we'll see how this one goes. And yeah, a lot of the Discord users have been talking about Kenobi, which is the next Disney TV series that is slated to... Uh, be or slated to premiere, I think, in May. May the fourth is the rumor. May the fourth. So, yeah, it's it's been a very lively discussion um, in the <laughs> Discord, but yeah, that's been my life. <laughs> and what about Rigby? What's new with Rigby this week? For anyone who's not familiar, Rigby is our corgi, um, and he likes to hang out with us in the podcast room while we're recording. And as I'm speaking. 
he's literally spluting right in front of us. If anyone doesn't know what a sploot is, <laughs> it's when like a dog, especially a corgi, lays, but their back legs are sticking out behind them. And because corgis have such tiny little legs, you just see two feet behind this massive ass. <laughs> I'll I'll post a picture in the Discord server um, for anyone who's not familiar. But you can just you can Google sploot corgi or corgi sploot, and and you'll find plenty of pictures of adorable corgis with their little legs sticking out. Um, but yeah, he likes to do that. He likes to act like a little mood sometimes. He's also been <laughs> gaining a lot of winter he's weight. Chonky. <laughs> it's like he's in hibernation because uh, here in the Chicagoland area, it's been pretty cold out, although today it's warmed up a bit. Um, so it's hard to uh, take Rigby out for a nice walk around the block. Yeah, Chicago's still buried under like like several inches of snow because it, like you said, it's been warm, but not warm enough to melt everything. Mm-hmm. So he tries to walk out there and it's like up to his neck. Yeah. <laughs> his whole body is just like in the snow. And it's, it's hard for him to go on his potty breaks because he likes to walk into the grass and do his business. But when the, when the snow is like a foot taller than him, <laughs> not like not a foot taller, but like he's as tall as the snow around him. It's hard for him to just walk through it. And, and forge his own path. I know people keep telling us we should shovel a uh, shovel a maze out for him so that he can kind of walk a little more freely. Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll we'll think about it, Rigby. <laughs> but yeah, that's what's new with us, and that's what's new with Rigby. So on to Attack on Titan stuff, the main event. Um, I think the didn't the OP and the ED, the full versions, recently release on Spotify. Well, the ED. Which is, I think, was it Akuma no Ko, Child of Evil? It the full version has been out on Spotify. I oh. think since since the uh, part two of the final season premiered, um, the Rumbling had its TV sized version out as well uh, since the part two premiere. But now the full version of the song has been released this week, uh, as announced by the band Sim, who performed them or performed the song and. It's pretty fitting because we are in full rumbling mode right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's definitely been added to my Spotify anime playlist uh, for those who are interested in listening to it. And I, you know, we had our hesitations about the song in the beginning because obviously it, it's not Linked Horizon, and it would have been great for Linked Horizon to close out the series. But it, it's been growing on me. Like it is such a great headbanger and like i <laughs> i always think of our our friend aaron um from under the bun who's also part of a band called from those ashes and i would love to hear them do a cover of this song that would be amazing yeah um but until then you know i guess one can dream and it's actually been making waves on the u.s music charts because i believe last week um, it hit the number one spot on the Hard Rock Billboard chart. That's really cool. Weebs rise up. Let's go. We are being recognized. <laughs> and yeah, another statistic is that per Crunchyroll, the, the track has already reached number one on the iTunes Rock charts in 13 countries, including the U.S. So, Damn. Yeah. Talk about, I don't know anything about this band, but if they're like a lesser known band in Japan... Um, or even if they're well known, they, yeah, I feel like this is one of those like career making moments, like one of those viral moments that a lot of people wish they could have. Um, and this band has that. 
like, like at least globally now like even if they're a big band in japan like globally now they're they're getting such a big reach because they're doing the op for attack on titan and they've been around f- since 2004 according to wikipedia uh so they're not like relatively unknown i think they had signed with a, a new company this year uh, but yeah to to release a single and then just shoot straight into like the global spotlight from there i'm sure has been something that they've dreamed of for for so long um and yeah just learning that the name the name of the band is sim but it's capital s lowercase i capital m and i think it's an acronym for silence is mine which is interesting interesting well yeah i the reaction to this op i feel like is similar to the reaction to the previous OP for part one. Um, I saw a video where it was like somebody was playing the part one OP and it was that that meme of, um, what's his face from Pulp Fiction? John Travolta. Yeah, where he character. steps out and he's like, yeah. just kind of looking back and forth like, what the fuck is this? And then like, the more you listen to it, then it becomes something that you really get into. It's the same reaction here, more so because it's not Link to Horizon. Like we were all waiting for Link to Horizon to show up and then we all come out like John Travolta, like the fuck is this? But now, it's growing on a lot of people, including myself. I actually have to say that the ED, because um, I've listened to the full version now uh, as of like yesterday and today, it's beautiful. I am obsessed with it. I love it so much. And I wouldn't immediately think that it's an Attack on Titan song, but I think mm-hmm. it was a very, very smart choice, especially because it's the ED. It's the closer for the season that closes out the show. And yeah, I just, I can't get enough of the song. I keep listening to it. And we definitely needed its uplifting message, especially at the end of this episode, because oh. of all the shit that goes down. Uh, so yeah, you, you have to appreciate both the OP and the ED for this final part of the final season. Let's switch gears now, though, and, and take a step back, okay? I had a feeling this was going to happen. Um, we're going to take you back to the previous episode of Attack on Titan, episode 79. Uh memories of the future yes and also our previous review episode of our attack on titan special event because we had um a couple people reach out to us to share theories and possibly clarify some things that we had talked about in that episode so i know i said that we were confident in our interpretations but like remember guys we're not manga readers we're piecing this (laughs) together from what we've been shown so far in the anime so we were confident but I kind of had like a sneaking suspicion that there were going to be some things that weren't entirely on par with our interpretations. But hey, that's why it's an interpretation. Yeah, that's that's why there are theories. But yeah, it was it was interesting getting all the, the feedback about our about our discussion and our viewpoints, which was great because it's always nice to hear different perspectives and what other people interpret. So yeah, absolutely, and that's kind of what we alluded to in the previous episode. Um, when I posed the the questions around like this half of the fandom or one half of the fandom thinks X, but another half of the fandom thinks Y. Um, like for example, you know, one half of the fandom thinks that um, uh, that Grisha can see Aaron and Zeke only through Aaron's eyes, or rather not not Aaron but Zeke through Aaron's eyes. The other half thinks that um, they're actually there in the room with him. Um, if you go back to the episode, you'll, you'll hear us talk about that. But because it's it's kind of a split thing right now, um, and it may be split because it's split between manga readers and anime-only people, or maybe it's just because Isayama hasn't given a, um, a concrete explanation around what's being told in this story. 
um, since the manga ended. And who knows? He may never do that. I think most authors don't ever provide a lot of clarity around what they're creating because they want to leave it up to interpretation. Yeah, it reminds me of the ending to Chris Nolan's film Inception, how there are so many different interpretations and theories of the ending. And I think Chris Nolan himself hasn't stated like what the true ending is supposed to mean. Or you can be like the guy who created Evangelion where someone asked him in an interview, what's, what is it about? And he's like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the greatest. Like, I, it's up to the reader to decide. I think it's just... Some people want that closure, but other times you want to make up your own headcanon. Yeah. Be comfortable with that. And so the point we're trying to get at is that our interpretations are one thing, but I could easily be swayed to think another thing if mm -hmm. enough evidence is provided to sway me in that direction. Um, so with that said, we got an email from one of our listeners, um, Leah J. Now... I don't know, so I don't know if, if your name is pronounced Leah or Leah, because we actually know two different people with mm -hmm. the exact same name and exact same spelling, but one pronounces it Leah, one pronounces it Leah. I'm going to err on Leah, so hopefully that's the correct way to pronounce your name. But um, Leah reached out to us um, and shared a, a pretty lengthy email, so I'm going to kind of truncate this a little bit and, and share the highlights. Um, but Leah brought up two specific points after listening to our previous Attack on Titan episode, um, the first one being the ability of the Attack Titan is to view memories of future inheritors. Um, they mentioned that we said in the episode that um, it was only happening because Aaron has the founding Titan um, and that they wanted to clarify for us that each Titan has a special ability. For example, Annie has the female Titan whose ability is to scream. Zeke, the beast Titan, has the ability to um, control people in pure Titan form. Galliard, the jawed Titan, can break uh, the crystal material, et cetera, et cetera. So they're clarifying that the attack Titan does hold the ability to see future inheritors' memories, not because Aaron happens to have the founder. So I can be swayed. I, I think I, I can be swayed um, and convinced in that re in that regard. I think it does make sense that you know maybe we were looking a bit too much into the founding Titan also being at play in the previous episode, and that it actually is an inherent trait of the attack Titan to see memories of future inheritors. I guess the one caveat that I saw with uh, their explanation is that in that same scene where Grisha tells Frida about this power, Frida seems unaware of it. Um, and she, I think she says, like, that's a power that I hadn't previously known, which is odd because you would think that since she has the founding Titan power, that she has the knowledge and the history of the world. So by that, by that standard, she would have an inkling of, like knowing the abilities of each of the nine Titan powers. But I rewatched that scene just to kind of get clarification. And I noted something that Grisha said to her afterwards, where I think he was saying that Frida is limited in her, her knowledge because she hasn't unlocked the full potential of the founding Titan's power because of the vo the vow that, uh, of King Fritz's vow renouncing war that he put on uh, the founding titan and we'll have to specify now after this episode that that's carl fritz the later yes, king fritz not the the bastard dick fritz that not the og <laughs> the og fritz that was in this episode it was a complete dickhead um but yeah i think that that explains um the, the plausibility of this future knowing 
ability uh, being part of the Attack Titans array of powers. Yeah, and that's what um, Leia specifies in, in the email too, that the ability can only be used to its fullest when the Titan is also a person of royal blood or comes into contact with someone of royal blood. Um, the other point that they make um, is that Grisha is literally seeing Aaron and Zeke. Every time he sees them, it's as if they are in the room with him. It's not that Grisha is getting a vision as if he's seeing the scene play out through Aaron's eyes. Um, skimming the email here. Um, one clue is that the only time Grisha looks behind them in the Crystal Chapel, um, where Aaron is standing to his right and makes his presence unable to um, be ignored by his rage. Um, Aaron and Zeke appear to Grisha like phantoms. He actually sees them with his own eyes. So at this point, I, I feel less convinced by. However, I feel like there is evidence for both sides of this, you know, whether Zeke and Aaron are in the room with Grisha and he can see them like phantoms or our original interpretation that Grisha can only see Zeke through Aaron's eyes as if he's playing back Aaron's memories in his head and seeing things literally through through Aaron's eyes. Um and I think that's because there's evidence that Grisha can only see Zeke when Aaron is looking at Zeke too. And he never comments on Aaron's appearance or directly talks to Aaron while looking at him, except in the doorway. But again, you could argue the doorway where he's holding the key. Mm -hmm. He tells younger Aaron he'll show him the basement. You could argue that he's just looking right back at himself, but acknowledging that, that, that Aaron is right next to him in the doorway. However, on the flip side of it, um, Grisha hugging Zeke at the end of the episode and actually moving his body when he like kind of glomps him as an old school term for you glomps um, as well as Aaron touching Grisha in like the, the crystal cavern area and then moving his body as he touches his shoulder could prove otherwise. So like I again I, I still feel like I need a little more evidence to be convinced that Grisha is not seeing things through Aaron's eyes but there's like there's decent evidence on the other side of things. I think it's clarified, at least through Zeke in this episode, that Aaron is kind of was able to choose which memories to send to Grisha, right? So that could also be a factor. Yeah. So Zeke does clarify two things. So that with the first point um, that uh, Leia brought up, Zeke Zeke clarifies in this episode that yes, it is a, a trait of the Attack Titan. So we have that pretty solid confirmation in this episode eighty, um, but he kind of like still leaves it ambiguous as he keeps talking to Aaron about whether Grisha is able to see them like ghosts or if it's through Aaron's eyes. But he does say that to your point that Aaron is able to send back um, specific memories of his choosing that would benefit his overall cause. So yeah, I think, I don't know if we're going to get more context around it as the episodes go on. I kind of hope we do. So we have a little more clarity, um, but I, I'm open to hearing more evidence, more, more sides of things, um, more theories, because it's interesting. And again, like everything is so ambiguous at this point, And there's so many interpretations out there that I'm, I, I could be swayed in, in any direction. I think as of right now, um, I agree that the attack Titan is an actual trait or sorry the 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 future knowing ability is yes an is an actual trait. trait of the attack titan um however i'm still on the side that says grisha is only able to see zeke because he's seeing things through aaron's eyes and as i think about that more in the memory scene throughout the first part of the previous episode like they see grisha multiple times 
and like they're in the room with Grisha, but he never reacts to Zeke or Aaron until the scene where he's sleeping on the desk, wakes up and sees Zeke as an old man. He's like, no, you, like, like, that old guy can't be my son. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting there is that he sees Zeke and then stops seeing him, even though Zeke never moves out of his way. And Aaron happens to be standing behind both Grisha and Zeke in that moment. Well, I, I kind of disagree with you there. I think Zeke was always present and Grisha could still see him within his sights. But since he was in like a, such a sleepy state, he must have thought that he was dreaming. So you're telling me in the very first scene where Grisha's holding brand new born Aaron and Aaron and Zeke are standing in their house. He doesn't turn around and say, holy shit, there are two dudes standing in our house. What the fuck is going well, no, on? That's where I'm thinking like Aaron, I don't know how Aaron could have sent that because going back to thinking like Aaron sending specific memories I don't know how that would have worked in that moment where especially the last moment where uh, Grisha embraced Zeke but I'm just that's what I'm saying like with him sleeping in that or with him sleeping in his office Aaron triggered that that ability and then that's how Grisha was able to see him there and not at that time when Aaron was born so are you on the side that or are you are you aligned to the theory that Zeke and Aaron appear in the room as phantoms and he's not seeing things through Aaron's eyes? I think Grisha is only seeing things through Aaron's eyes when Aaron wants him to see them. Yes, no, I, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, and I think that's why in that same scene where he is like half asleep and he's like, oh, that old man can't be my son. That's why Aaron has that shocked face because he realizes, oh shit, I just did something yeah. that caused Grisha to see things through my eyes. I just sent him a memory, probably like unintentionally. And that's why Aaron's like, all right, let's go to the next memory. Yeah. Let's get the fuck out of here because he doesn't want his brother to catch on to it. But I mean, think about it. In a later scene where Grisha's writing the in the journal and he locks the drawer um, with the key, Zeke is literally right next to him. And he's talking to Aaron, but like in Grisha's ear. How does Grisha not react to that? If he's seeing them as phantoms in the room, how does he not react to that? Mm-hmm. Unless you argue that he does see them as phantoms in the room, but only when Aaron activates that ability. And yeah, that's, that's why he's what able I'm, to hug them. Yeah, that's what I'm... So you're kind of halfway then. Confirmed. So you're halfway saying Aaron is controlling it, but yes, he can see them as phantoms. Because what I'm saying is that Grisha can only see things through Aaron's eyes, which is why he never comments on Aaron's appearance. I'm still saying like he can only see... <laughs> yeah, you're saying that he can only see stuff when Aaron allows him to. Yeah. But are you saying when Aaron allows him to see it, is, is Grisha seeing the two of them as phantoms? Or is he seeing things through Aaron's eyes? He's, he would be seeing things through Aaron's eyes, so he never... Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you're... Yeah, okay, so then we're aligned there as far as our, our theory goes on, on what's happening there. Yeah, I, my brain is still fried <laughs> from last week. So I know, bear we, had with a, me. <laughs> we had a rough week last week because we, we reviewed this episode, or episode 79, with all the crazy theories, and then we went right into reviewing Footy Goody, mm-hmm. which is uh, a pretty uh, abstract anime. So, yeah, maybe we're, we're a little fried right now. And then we go into this episode, which is a little more clear, but like less clear in certain aspects. There's just a lot to unpack. Yes. Well, moving on, if anyone else wants to chime in on these theories, please reach out to us. Again, you can email us, you can send us a message on Instagram or Twitter, or you can join our Discord server um, and send messages or share your theories in our Attack on Titan channel. We would love to talk all about that. Um, the links are in the description. So thank you, Leah J, for sending that over to us. Um, that, that really got us thinking, and we, we went back and did a lot of research, watched some past scenes and things like that. So we, we appreciate you reaching out and, and getting our, our wheels turning on that one. 
And actually, there was one more message. This isn't about theory or anything, but this is more confirmation. Uh, this was a message that I received from our friend Rob. Um, he says, to your point of saying Aaron didn't want to kill Rod Rice because then Historia wouldn't have been born. She was already born at the point because Frida had a relationship with Historia already. And Historia, I'm assuming, is the same age as Aaron since she was in the same cadet class. Zeke even says that Grisha didn't inherit the founding titan until the same day as the wall being breached, so he probably needed Rod alive as to not change something unintentionally that Aaron still needed to happen. So that makes a lot of sense, especially after watching this episode because we get a flashback to that scene with Historia and Frida. So I think, yeah, it just makes sense that Aaron didn't want to interfere with Rod's life because he knew of the future in that point uh, when he was instructing Grisha, right? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Rob, for clarifying that, because I, I completely overlooked that point. I was like, oh, it's so that Rod can give birth to Historia, but then <laughs> you're all sitting there probably thinking, like, she's already alive. <laughs> so yeah, thank you, Rob, for clarifying. All right, so I think that covers all the messages and feedback we received about our previous discussion. Um, so thank you again to everyone who, who reached out. Again, it, it's just nice to be able to see things in new perspectives, and like I said, our, our our theories aren't always aren't set in stone, so we could be swayed with with a a sound argument to use the title of a previous episode. But let's go ahead and just jump right into our synopsis and discussion for Attack on Titan: The Final Season, Episode Eighty, from you two thousand years ago. Just in case we weren't horrified enough, we are treated to a Sports Center highlight of Grisha's lopsided fight against Frida and the Rice family in his Attack Titan form before Zeke's Christ is ricocheted straight back into the Prince of Persia sands of time. Realizing the ultimate role he played in Aaron Jägermeister's time and space shattering anime scheme, Zeke tries to right his wrongs and commands Emir to execute Operation Eldian Vasectomy in an attempt to stop Aaron from wrecking havoc upon the world. Eldia's angsty anti-hero then takes a cue from Troy Bolton by High School Musical breaking free from his chains and rushing to sack Emir before she can say Super Bowl Sunday. The subsequent contact between the two of them triggers a History Channel documentary of Emir's past from 2,000 years ago. Now this is a story all about how her life got twist turned upside down, so I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there, I'll tell you how Emer fell into a world of despair. In a quaint little village she was born and raised, running errands was how she spent most of her days. Buckets at max filled with water so cool, while everyone's eyes were as dark as a ghoul's, when a couple of troops who were up to no good started making trouble in her neighborhood. She took one little blame and the king with glee said you run into the forest, little girl, you are free. All right, enough of this grade school Holy history shit. rap assignment bullshit. <laughs> Emir runs from her pursuers into the Giving Tree, which gives her the title of Founding Titan after a strange organism mutates with her body. King Fritz then exploits the feeble founder's powers to make Eldia reign pizza supreme and sires three daughters with her because he is a gross old fuck. After Emir selflessly saves the unworthy king from an enemy not yet ready to rep his new set, Fritz rewards her sacrifice by having her daughters feast on her remains to preserve Emir's titan powers, and the rest is redacted history. Back in the Prince of Persia sands of time, Aaron Jägermeister implores Emir to think for herself and to be the Gabriella to his Troy in high school musical, breaking free from the shackles that the world has strapped onto the Eldian race. 
The American Kurs, and we are thrust back into present-day Shigan Shonen Jump District, where Eren turns into a Jaeger monster and activates Operation Dual Shock Rumbling as Titans emerge from the walls and begin their colossal crusade against Zawardo. Eren then calls all the Eldians of the world into a Zoom meeting, declaring his intent to destroy everything that stands in Paradise's way. Let's get ready to rumbling! Wow, the number of references you had in this description. <laughs> Dual shock. Let's get ready to rumble. Oh my god, that Fresh fucking Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> this is on fire. Okay, props <laughs> to you. Thank you. I try. I try. <laughs> well, right off the bat, first thing that needs to be said: Fritz is a fucking ass. Just an yeah. asshole. Like honestly, worst with, dad like, of all time. All the asshole dads. <laughs> well, Grisha's like, not an asshole dad, but. Yeah, Zeke thought like, he was, but <laughs> yeah, just a running trait right now in Attack on Titan. I know Jeff from Otaku Host Club was in uh, the Attack on Titan chat on our Discord, and he was like, "And Father of the Year goes to." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, exactly." <laughs> Holy shit! Add that man to the list of worst dads in anime. Um, but the actual start of this episode is that brutal opening scene of what what happens in the fight between Frida and Grisha. And no wonder Grisha was looking like he was about to lose his fucking mind after smashing those kids. This was this was the kind of gore that we got in the earlier seasons of Attack on Titan. And I kind mm-hmm. of I kind of loved it. Like in a horrible way. Obviously, I'm not happy that these characters got smushed like bugs. But just having that type of gore, it's it's been a little bit since we've had something that brutal. Yeah, it elicited a yelp from me. I know like you, you, you physically like, jolted. Like, I don't know why. Like you would think watching attack on Titan for so many years, you're just, and you know, just all the gory stuff you see on TV right now in general, like I'd be used to that, but something just, it just felt so brutal about seeing it up close like that. What was worse for you seeing the kids get smashed under his hand or watching that one person get crushed as he like squeezed his fist. I think it was the kids getting crushed by his hand. Like that was what, got the audible like yelp out of me just because i like knew that they were just children i think for me the worst part was the the fist part just watching that person slowly get crushed and then their body just like crack that was that was nasty it's kind of reminiscent and maybe this is a callback to episode one when uh dina fritz's titan or dina fritz dina dina um it if you remember it cracks uh aaron's mother's back oh that's right but they they do it off camera so you, you just see Aaron's shocked re- uh, reaction to it. But here, like, you see that guy's body just get rocked. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing so far has ever topped what, to me, is, like, the most brutal moment of the show when Annie, I think we've mentioned this before, when Annie um, is in the female Titan form and she's got that one scout by the ODM gear and she's twirling him uh, yeah. like a like a toy. Just imagine the G-forces going through that guy's body. Like, oh, my God, that that's brutal. And I think at the end, she, like, smacks him into the ground. Whoo, that one still sits with me. But after that flashback um, and re- re-watching Zeke have his closure with Grisha, um, we get sent back to Paths, and Aaron wanted to go right back into Grisha's memories to see the day that he ate Grisha. And I'm kind of wondering, was this sarcasm because Zeke stopped their, like, memory visits? Um, you know, Aaron kind of poking fun at him, like, oh, we didn't finish. We got to keep going because you wanted to show me everything. So was it Zeke who stopped it or was it Aaron who stopped it? I figured it was Zeke because wasn't mm. Zeke the one controlling when and where and how and why they were going through the memories? Oh, I guess so. It's just it was confusing because it's the last thing he sees is Aaron 
And then you see the younger Aaron. It's probably the shock factor of seeing like younger Aaron because that, that face is pretty shocking. <laughs> um, or was this Aaron genuinely wanting to see the day he ate Grisha because his memory was fuzzy. And I think he's confirmed that with us before. And they've told us this through different characters in the past that you can't exactly remember what happens in the moment before you become a regular Titan. I think we got that with um, from Emir, like the the brunette Emir, when mm-hmm. she says like she can't really remember how she became a Titan. Um, or from from uh, Grisha when he's talking to Kruger, the owl on the wall. Um, we right. mentioned this in the previous episode that he says to, Gr- uh, to Kruger, you know, you're going to tell me these things, but I'm going to forget them because I'm about to turn into a Titan. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering, like, was Aaron actually wanting to know what happened that night because he said before that he actually doesn't really remember it? You would figured, like, he would have revisited that memory at some point because he has his father's memories. True. That's true. Yeah, he could dig into his dad's memories and just see it from his point of view. Unless, like, in order to do that, like, he has to, there has to be a trigger to that, right? To see the memories of something. Yeah, like, something needs to open up those memories. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever get confirmation. It was just a, a thing that I was thinking about when we were rewatching that scene. Uh, but then we get some, some pretty big confirmations from Zeke as he gives us more context around what was happening in the previous episode. So we mentioned this already. Zeke confirms that the Attack Titan actually does have the power to transcend time as he describes it. Um, and then Aaron could show Grisha memories, which suited him to alter the past. Really quick, I just want to call out that, did you notice Zeke first refers to Grisha as father before reverting back to calling him Grisha? I oh, I didn't notice that. I just thought that was so interesting because I'm pretty sure he's never referred to Grisha as father before this and maybe someone can confirm that to uh with me but i think it's because he felt so connected with grisha after he had apologized that he finally started to see him as as a father yeah i could see that um kind of acknowledging that now that he had his closure yeah um and then he or aaron confirms in this exchange that this was all possible because zeke fucked up royally no pun intended (laughs) um he tells zeke that he's grateful because this quote unquote this was only possible because you brought me into dad's memories which i think we we kind of talked a little bit about in our previous review episode that it's this was very circumstantial that the right pieces fell into place in order to allow aaron to do what he did um and then Aaron confirms to Zeke that I saw my own future through dad's memories four years ago. So when he kissed Historia's hand and then made that freaked out face, mm-hmm. that's when he saw his own fate. Future. Yeah, yeah, his own fate, essentially. So I'm going to try to describe this. And I read this once to you before we recorded. And you were you were looking at me like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> so this might not make any sense. But let's talk about like Endgame, right? Like Aaron's fate, his, his, his future. Aaron by this logic, has known the end game since the moment he kissed Historia's hand. Mm-hmm. We said in the previous episode that potentially Grisha knew more about the end game than Aaron did at that exact moment, which was in the cavern, um, because he saw into Aaron's even further into the future memories than what Aaron had experienced by that point in time in episode 79. However, this caused another loop where Aaron actually did know the end game because he saw Grisha's memories where he saw Aaron's future memories from the moment of the actual end game, whatever the end game of this entire show is. Yes. So that this confirms that, that yeah, Aaron actually has known the entire time for the past four years. This is 
<laughs> I know we made a Family Guy reference last week, but this also reminds me of the other Family Guy episode with Brian and Stewie where he's like, we're from the further, further, further future. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew you could tie Family Guy with Attack on Titan? Well, to be fair, people have been tying uh, SpongeBob to Attack on Titan, especially I'm you on your Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> I, I even shared in the Discord, I think someone took a clip of Emir and Aaron, um, their pivotal moment in this episode, and synced it with the audio from the episode where SpongeBob thought he was ugly. It was oh just God. his breath smelled. That's Look a, gr- a great episode. <laughs> oh, what a time to be alive. And that, that video games. actually syncs up pretty well. Whoever did that edit did a really good job. Yeah. <laughs> I want all of you to look at <laughs> yeah, it. And then the rumbling happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then Zeke commands Emir to go ahead with the euthanasia plan. And at that moment, we get a bit of old Aaron again when he starts screaming as he rips his hands out of those chains. I'm like, this Mm -hmm. is old Aaron coming back. He's still here. He told us last episode he hasn't gone anywhere. He's still the same Aaron. Yeah, and he's inhibiting or exhibiting the qualities of the attack titan in that it always moves forward towards freedom. And yeah, chains aren't going to stop Aaron at this point. Uh, I think I told this to you. There's another callback to the first episode here where there's a particular shot of Aaron screaming, and maybe we can share this in the Discord as well. And the angle of the shot is very similar to when a young Aaron was watching his mother get eaten by Dina Fritz um, when the wall fell down. Which is really cool because this is episode one that that you're referencing mm-hmm. um, to you 2,000 years in the future or whatever and then episode 80 here where they're using that same shot of older Aaron making the same face in the episode titled from you 2000 years ago it's just like the the full circle that that happens multiple times is really really cool to see yeah to make a Star Wars reference and to quote Darth Vader the circle is now complete oh my god (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting to use that at the right moment but yeah we'll definitely drop that um, I think it was a tweet or something that you saw right yeah We'll drop that in the discords so that everyone can see um, the, the two images that we're referring to. Um, this got my wheels turning, though, because I'm like, Zeke is kind of bad when it comes to foresight. Like here he brings Aaron into his dad's memories, lining up the circumstances perfectly for Aaron to manipulate Grisha. And then in this episode, he's waiting around as Aaron runs after Emir, thinking like Aaron can't possibly convince Emir. But dude, Zeke, you literally told Aaron in the previous episode that you spoke to Emir for like an eternity and got her to renounce the the vow against war. Mm -hmm. So if you were able to convince her just by sitting there talking to her ass for a long time, why wouldn't you think that Aaron could somehow convince her, you know, in another direction, which is literally what happens here? Yeah, Zeke was just being cocky. I think he's just so uh, so laser-focused on the euthanization plan that he, he probably just thought it was foolproof at this point, although Aaron kind of proved him wrong of that fact in the previous episode. So I don't know why he just reverted back to this this confidence. Yeah, and I think this has happened to Zeke before in previous seasons where he lacked this foresight and then got his ass handed to him. Talking about Levi? Yeah, with, well, the <laughs> Levi fights are a perfect example because, like, twice he underestimates Levi. Like, the first time um, in their first showdown, he is told by, I think, Reiner to be careful of the mm-hmm. Ackerman. 
And then he's like acting all cocky, like everything's all good to go. And then sees the Titans falling and then gets into it with Levi. Um, and then in part one of the final season, he thinks that those Titans are in the forest are enough to take down Levi, which is clearly not the case. Nothing can stop my boy Levi. Yeah. So there, there's just this repeating, this pattern with Zeke where he just is not able to see all possible, all possibilities in a situation. And then he gets trampled over because of it and here it is again in episode 80 so then i think after this um they take us into the scene a previous scene that we've gotten before i believe between frida and historia where frida tells historia the story of emir yeah i think this is triggered again because aaron was able to catch up to emir in the paths realm and by embracing her, it triggered his memories of the founder. Um, so yeah, this is a re-adaptation of the scene with Frida and Historia from season three, episode 43, Sin, which I believe we also reference in Memories of the Future. Again, this has been done in Mappa's current style where you see less of this sort of rose-colored lens of Wits Studios visuals and more of like this gritty reality. Uh, but it's a shot-for-shot shot remake, like in the yeah, previous episode the, 79, yeah. right? It takes the same uh, same dialogue as well. And I thought it was interesting that we get a shot again of the storybook that Frida is showing the young Historia, and it's the story of Ymir. And I think we... We know at this point that, or we were told at this point that Ymir makes a deal with the devil, and that's what gave her the Titan powers. But Frida refutes this in saying that Ymir was actually very kind and ladylike. So the thing I really love about this episode is how it goes again with the theme of perspectives shifting in the show because we, because it kind of sheds the untold truth on the legend of Ymir. Yeah, I completely agree. I found it so interesting revisiting the scene that Frida is telling Historia that, you know, you should be like Ymir, who was very ladylike and very kind. And this is a misconception for both the characters in the show and for us as the viewers, um, as we find out more through this episode, because I, I feel like Ymir's story was romanticized and not at all accurate to, accurate to what she went through, um, mm -hmm. you know, as we, again, learn in these, um, these upcoming scenes. And since we're... Or while we're on this point of the storybook, I wanted to bring something else that a member of our Discord brought up uh, by the username Tutagol. Uh, when we see a shot of the book, it's again of Ymir, and it looks like she's presenting an apple to the quote-unquote devil. But Tutagol says that Aaron might be that devil making a deal with Ymir, um, which would be kind of mind-blowing. Um, and their theory is based in the physical similarities between Aaron's attack titan and every drawing of the devil they show. So, I could see that. When, yeah. when they mentioned that, I was like, oh, shit, that's a really good theory. Yeah. <laughs> Holy may, shit. Yeah, that, that's probably showing what happens in this episode with, I guess, Emir does make a deal with the devil in a way. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think it's crazy how... Um, you know, you feel so confident in the earlier seasons of the show that Ymir was was like a god, was like a, a queen of sorts. And, and here we find out she was basically the simplest of slaves. And just manipulated. Yeah. So this, this let's go into that. L let's take some time to talk about the backstory portion of this episode because, I mean, it 
that's I think the most uh, important piece of, of what happens here. I know the rumbling is really important. We've been waiting for it, but I think what what they're really trying to portray in this episode is the the missing uh, puzzle pieces that we've needed for a while around the overall lore behind Attack on Titan. So speaking of that lore, the entire lore, think about this, the entire lore of this incredible show happened because someone didn't want to take responsibility for a pig escaping their pen. <laughs> That's crazy to me. <laughs> I saw a meme earlier this week. It was like the, there's like a domino meme. And this kind of plays into the whole butterfly effect that we've been mentioning uh, the past couple episodes is it all started with a pig escaping the pen to the point where it's now the extermination of the world. That's oh. crazy. The butterfly effect, right? Right, yeah. That's what I was saying. Like, it's it's just like the butterfly effect. That's so... I love when people do this, when they when they oversimplify <laughs> a, an anime story that like this whole thing started because of this stupid little thing that happened. Yeah, it's because a pig escaped its fucking pen. That the entire, the entire uh, non-Eldian race is about to get wiped out. Yeah. And I want to actually call an, uh, something else out another callback with um emir being the scapegoat uh or like we we see that um the eldian i guess it could be tribe comes in ravages her village and, and invades it takes them over right and then that leads into the whole um king fritz wanting to know who let the pig escape who let the pig out um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's funny because emir is chosen as a scapegoat and it reminds me of the brunette emir uh, back in season two, when we were privy to her backstory, I think she was also chosen as a scapegoat for leading that cult of Emir. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. And even the imagery of once uh, the the Eldian warriors in this episode, uh, they, they rope all the villagers up and you have that shot of Emir um, with the rope around her neck and being chained or like tied up with everyone else. And they're walking or like being paraded, right? I think the same thing happened with the brunette Emir. If you remember, they were being paraded on the streets and people were throwing rocks at them. And she also had the rope around her neck and was tied up with everyone else. So. That's crazy. That's yeah. absolutely crazy. It's, and it's kind of like how, and, and you may share this um, a little bit later, but it's kind of how the entire section that we're talking about, the backstory of Emir was told to us. In the fucking yeah, season two breadcrumbs right <laughs> through so it's the not, ed yeah. in season two right? right they basically showed us the entire lore of attack on titan through creepy like murals or images yeah and we had no fucking idea i was like <laughs> this is just some weird imagery they're trying to to show us but no it was the entire story and as the story is being told too i i want to note that because i don't think frida talks through the whole thing but she talks through like the first portions mm -hmm. and it going back to this stark contrast between perception by the viewer and the characters in the show versus what actually happened to emir you can hear frida narrate this to historia in a very pleasant like beautiful storybook kind of voice you know like you know mm -hmm. as if she's telling like a a disney story to her child or whatever um but what's actually happening on screen is like completely opposite to the vibe that you're getting from her voice. So Frida says Emir's helpfulness and being useful was something that, you know, she was revered for. But at the same time she's saying that, we're seeing everybody point their fingers at at Emir. Or, you know, there's there's things happening where she's basically becoming a slave and all of that. So it's just kind of interesting that they, they continued to have Frida narrate for a little bit using that very uplifting tone 
versus like what you're seeing on screen. You're like, no, that's not what's happening here. <laughs> Since you said um, like it's like a Disney-esque narrative, it's kind of like, you know, like Hans Christian Andersen, the, the author of like all the well-known fairy tales. Yeah. How like the original fairy tales are, are super dark and like they're meant to be like these morals for kids to not do certain things or whatever. And I'm like... I'm pretty sure Disney and a lot of like the other major animation companies have adapted their stories to something that's a little bit more like tasteful to to easier to digest right. for a five year old. <laughs> so that's what this part kind of reminds me of. Yeah, I could see that. After everyone blames Emir for the pig situation, Fritz tells her, "Congrats, you're free." And I find this super interesting because this meant that she was no longer a slave and could be hunted down for sport, which is horrible. But this is probably why Ymir has a warped understanding of freedom. And instead of mm. trying to fight and like stand up for herself, even when King Fritz is about to get stabbed with that spear, she still is his slave and, and sacrifices herself. So instead of her trying to just break free of what's happening to her, she stays a slave for 2,000 years. I think her association with freedom is more pain and suffering. So why try to be free if you're just going to, go through that situation anyway yeah i don't know if it's like a warped sense of her gratefulness to fritz or king fritz because he gave her quote unquote freedom and now yeah even though she she is free she may no longer be a slave although he, fritz still refers to her as a slave yeah um she still is bound by this sort of like life debt to him yeah, I just, it was so astonishing to me that she jumps in front of that spear when she could have just let him get impaled and broken free. But yeah, I think it's because her first taste of freedom since becoming a slave is arguably more horrific than her going back into, you know, her, her slave state. So she's probably like, why, why be free? What is the benefit of me being free if I'm just going to be hunted down and you have arrows shot at me and, and chased down by dogs and things like that? But when she falls into that tree and then falls into the water that's somewhere underneath the tree, my thalassophobia was just <laughs> off the charts because that giant fucking centipede thing comes up from underneath the water. And I'm like, this is my nightmare. This is my nightmare. But then it fuses with her spine and she becomes a titan. <laughs> yeah. So the anime wiki for Attack on Titan refers to it as the source of all living matter. What's interesting is I think it drew inspiration in its resemblance to what is called hallucinogenia, um, which is a sort of, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a, a fossil species um, that is actually, um, I think it, it's meant to rep like represent like a spine. So It looks like a little thing that you'd see in a microscope or something. Yeah. Uh, so interesting use of imagery there that kind of, again, ties in with the whole Titan spine thing. Um, other imagery I wanted to call out really quick is there's a flower with a blood droplet that appears during um, the hunt for Emir. You see that in the ED for part two as well. Um, if you look, I think, some point where Aaron's holding, young Aaron's holding the knife and the blood drops onto the flower. And there are other instances of that in other EDs. I think we saw one from season three. You showed me the one uh, that might be the one that you're refer referring to yeah. of Historia. Mm -hmm. And Wait. basically the imagery is identical to what yeah, Ymir goes through. She falls into like a pool of water um, and then 
there's run a, through that field of flowers. Right, and then you also see a drop of blood um, fall upon that field. Again, this writing is so tight. They've been yeah. planning this <laughs> for like so long. They, they've got it all all lined up nicely. <laughs> and I'm going to make my third Star Wars reference here, my first being the Darth Vader quote. The second one was actually the life debt. Life debt's a Star Wars reference. And my third one is watching Emir go into the tree uh, reminded me of Empire Strikes Back where Luke Skywalker wanders into that dark side cave on Dagobah. Wow. You know what it reminded me of, which is not a Star Wars reference, but one that you'll appreciate? Trece, the Filipino, not anime, but the oh. Filipino Netflix show where Trece goes into the, the tree and then comes back right. out like years later or whatever. Oh, I never made that connection. There you go. <laughs> Um, so as we get more information around uh, her becoming a titan and what happens afterwards, it apparently is just her going back into her slave state. And I find this interesting because, again, she's a fucking titan and she's decimating armies left and right. Why didn't she just fight back against the Eldians and say, I'm not going to continue to be your slave? But this, I think, plays into the fact that, again, she has a warped understanding of freedom. Mm-hmm. So why go back to freedom if it's a shitty situation? Why not just submit to Fritz and be used as a tool for war? It's because, again, like she could have just let the spear hit the guy. She could have just smushed him under her Titan uh, hand, but she continues to be his slave. It's crazy. I think what's also crazy is, again, we were led to believe that Emir made this deal with the devil. But we see here clearly that her Titan powers were just born out of a special tree. And this special organism, and it was just out of kind of sheer coincidence that Emir stumbled in. So it kind of changes your view of Emir as this sort of willing catalyst in like unleashing the monstrosity of Titan powers upon the world. It's just sheer circumstance. Yeah, because she was portrayed at times when they when they talked about her making this deal as almost a, a villain yeah. in this whole story. Um, and that's not the case at all. In fact, Fritz in the next scene says, as a reward, I shall give you my seed, which even then he's not acknowledging that this is of her doing, that, you know, he, he's like, that, that she's using her, you know, the, the, the powers that she happened upon, um, for his benefit and therefore he's rewarding her. He's not even making a deal with her, quote unquote. So if you, you could argue that the, the devil that she makes a deal with is Fritz, but here he's not making a deal with her. He's simply rewarding her. Um, because she is a, a slave under under his heel. And then he continues to use her as a slave in his conquest to build his empire. Do you think this kind of refers back to Frida calling um, Emir like, kind and um, wanting to live in a way that is helpful and to be loved by everybody? Do you think that's why Emir goes back to Fritz? Maybe for that sense of purpose. Um, mm. Yeah, I could see that because there's that initial scene when Frida's narrating where Ymir looks longingly along upon that married couple, that could indicate her just longing for, for love mm. and affection. Um, and here she she gets a version of that, although it's a really fucked yeah. up version, like a really <laughs> yeah, fucked so, up I'm version. I'm going to give you my seed. Like, damn, you're old as fuck, dude, okay? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how old Ymir is, but she seems really young. Fucking so creep. That, that brings up a question, <laughs> and I know that the contracts for Titan wielders are 13 years, and then they die, and that's tied to Ymir. Can you clarify if you remember, is that because Emir died when she was 13 or was that because she died 13 years after holding her Titan power or getting her Titan power? Oh, that's a good question. Because if it's the former, that she died at the age of 13, 
Fritz is nasty as fuck, okay? Because if she died at 13 and her children are like pretty old by the time she gets killed with the spear, that means that means she was really, really fucking young when he uh, gave her his seed. <laughs> so that's why I want to know. I need the, the clarification on this question. All right. So again, this is thanks to the Attack on Titan anime wiki says here that 13 years after acquiring the power of the Titans, Ymir died while thwarting an assassination attempt attempt on Fritz. So so. she wasn't 13. It was just it happened 13 years later. Okay. Well, that doesn't make all this right. It makes me feel a little bit better about the situation (laughs) because holy shit, I was doing the math in my head. It's that meme of like the lady with all the math equations Mm -hmm. zooming by or the one from... um, from the hangover with Zach Galifianakis. Yeah, with the fucking equations. I was like, hang on a second here. But thank you. That that clarifies. Also, I just want to call out like I I love the kind of primitive bony design of Ymir's founding titan cuz it's Yeah. Yeah, it kind of shows you like almost like watching the the evolution of man, right? And it has um to your point like the spininess reminds me of the creature that that fused with her. Like it's kind of a mix of both right, her body yeah. and that that thing's body. So then we reach the point where Emir sacrifices herself to protect Fritz from the spear, and he says, "What are you doing? Get up!" Just like Aaron did to Grisha in the last episode. <laughs> and I'm like, "Are they trying to tell us that Aaron's the bad guy here?" I don't know what why this parallel is being it's shown to us. History repeating itself. Well, then then Fritz says, "I know you won't die from a mere spear, my slave Emir." Wow, that's a tongue twister <laughs> or it just rhymes he says you won't die from a mere spear and then she immediately dies so did he jinx her or yeah i'm wondering if she just that was just of her own choice Ooh, right that's a good point i don't know just the way that like you just see her eyes close something about it made it seem like it was of her own volition. Yeah, because they closed after he said that. She was probably like, fuck you, I'm yeah. out of here. <laughs> but then the sad part is like she she gets transported to the realms and is subjected to continue forming these titans because I think King Fritz gruesomely commands his daughters to eat her. Like <laughs> first you hear the the chopping up of her body, which that that just you can't even mourn your mother's death probably because they're mutilating her in front of you yeah okay this this whole thing was fucked up so first off let's talk about their names yes maria rose and cena and i forget yeah, this was the last or not the last but one of the missing confirmations we have from the very first season is why the walls are named maria rose and cena damn more full circle here <laughs> they're named after fritz's daughters that's crazy and to call back to that creepy ed from season two we get this scene we were spoiled with this scene in those credits yeah because there's a very gruesome medieval style painting of emir's daughters feasting on her flesh and we can share that in the discord as well but man it's just re-watching this ed it's it's amazing that we we just thought these were oh these are just nice medieval pictures of things. There was probably like a small group of Attack on Titan fans who took that ED and like tore it to part and were able to put together the entire or most of the Attack on Titan lore and were probably trying to tell people like guys this is what happens in the show but most of us were just like oh I don't know what the fuck this <laughs> is it's creepy keep uh, keep 
playing the episode we'll just we'll skip the ending <laughs> no it's funny because the youtube video where i saw the ed from there was a comment that said uh people are gonna come here after watching season four of attack on titan and I'm sure it was probably a manga reader that was mentioning that yeah <laughs> and they were spot on What's important to note as the daughters are eating their their deceased mother's body um, is that that's when the coordinate appears to Emir and Pads. And mm-hmm. there's, I think you called this out to me, um, there's three branches that are shown in the sky indicating her three daughters had eaten her body. And then as more branches appear, um, that, that indicates that Fritz is telling his daughters to carry on the bloodline. And I think the quote is like, if one of my daughters dies, then make their grandchildren eat their spines or something like that. So as more people eat each other and eat their spinal fluid, more branches appear in the coordinate. And it was kind of haunting to see Emir like go around the realm. I think she's, it looks like she's um, constructing the wall titans um, but right before Aaron snaps her out of it. And just seeing the anguish on her face, it was kind of like looking at, like again, me growing up Catholic, seeing all of the like religious statues in, in churches and displayed outside of churches, especially of like um, the Virgin Mary, like when she's forlorn at the death of Christ, she always has this very sorrowful, anguished look on look on her face, and that's what I kind of saw with Emir, because she's burdened, even though. I think she chose to die out of her own free will, but she is still burdened with creating these titans and the paths. Which is kind of crazy because if, if that's the case, she probably got to paths and was like, what the fuck yeah. is this? <laughs> like, damn it, I'm still here. And that's why she looks so like just out of it when she's carrying that bucket of water. She's like, fuck this, yeah. man. I'm still doing this shit. <laughs> like, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. <laughs> and yeah, every titan is created by Ymir because she's continuing to follow Fritz's directives of creating more titans as the bloodline is passed on. Um, so then Fritz narrates some shit about you know continuing this on and, and keeping his legacy going. But what's interesting here, and I don't know how it translates on the, the Japanese side of things, but at least from the English subtitles, as Fritz is saying that this is going to be continuing for an eternity, as he says the word eternity, at least again in the subtitles, that's when Aaron interrupts and says mm-hmm. he'll end it all. And I'm like, what a perfect spot for Aaron to interrupt. Like, he, he can't, he doesn't even, he's so hell-bent on freedom that he won't even let Fritz finish the word eternity, which would essentially mean that nothing would ever change. Aaron's like, nah, I'm here. I'm changing it. And then that's when he <laughs> asks uh, Emir if she'll lend him uh, her strength saying, quote, you're not a slave, you're not a god, you're just a person, um, telling her you can decide. And this is the point where we finally see Emir's true face, indicating to us that she's finally been recognized as a human being mm-hmm. and realizes she can choose her own fate. And what a smart artistic decision to show us the entirety of Emir's backstory where everyone is like, not grayed out, but the colors are very subdued. Um, they have blank eyes kind of a shadow over their faces and here this is the moment where she has a normal human face she looks like the face she's making reminds me of armin right before he turned into the colossal titan in the first part where he made that (laughs) stupid ass face face with his teeth sticking out i was like what is that face here it makes more sense but that armin face is still confusing to me to me Here's another SpongeBob. I've made SpongeBob or Star Wars references now. SpongeBob references <laughs> everywhere. It's, it's like the 
that um, large muscular fish that plankton was attached to during the fry oh, cook yeah. games, and it makes like that ah kind of noise. <laughs> I don't know. I saw it like when I saw Emir's face. I don't know why I pictured that, but yeah, it's it was nice that we get that symbolism of Emir getting recognition of her humanity and, rather than her servitude, and I just love the the concept of of choice here um, being a pivotal thing because I think. Back in uh, part one, one of our my rev- uh, one of our reviews I was talking about with Zeke's euthanization plan, he is robbing the Eldians of the proper choice to make things right, even though it's Aaron making this choice <laughs> um, in a very gruesome way. I love that it's it starts because Aaron was able to give Emir a choice in whether or not to continue her subservience to a world that doesn't fully understand their race uh, rather than continuing the cycle of of hatred yeah and and in that moment i think this is when she basically agrees to lend him her strength um which is then activated because at that same time in the real world that's the moment zeke is touching aaron Mm -hmm. so he's able to he's able to quote unquote command um emir which is basically just her agreeing to lend him her strength because he's touching someone with royal blood. And it's just so interesting that Zeke is the one that's commanding Emir in paths right now. Again, not recognizing her as a human, but using her as a slave, even saying right. that she's basically a slave and he doesn't try to do anything about that. Of course, Emir is going to react to to Aaron. Like it took Zeke, what, an eternity, he said, to convince her to renounce the vow against war. And here, Aaron just takes like two seconds to convince her otherwise because he he sees her as a human do you think zeke was responsible for that opening since he had to force emir to uh renounce that vow what opening like he's like he was able to you said zeke was able to convince her to renounce the uh or to like break the vow renouncing war yeah do you think like Zeke indirectly caused Emir to also just make her own choice? Oh, because he convinced her to do something outside of her yeah. like her commands. So it's as like a another slave. another fault of Zeke. Probably <laughs> the way this has been going for Zeke, I poor wouldn't be surprised. Z- poor Zeke. <laughs> yeah, poor Zeke. Even though we don't agree with you, like yeah. poor poor you. Nothing goes your way. Although we, we probably don't agree with Aaron to a certain extent, but you know, Aaron's <laughs> always been our boy. So okay, let me let me talk about this out loud because the. The story here is telling us that the reason that those with royal blood can control the founding titan and Emir is not because she was royal herself, Mm -hmm. but because she was a slave to the royal bloodline. That was mind-blowing to me because here I thought like, oh, she's always been portrayed as this regal type of person. She must be where the bloodline started, which technically she is. Um, but not on the royal side, but on the slave side of things. Because the mm-hmm. Eldians are the ones that enslaved her, so she's not Eldian. And uh, yeah. and she's not a royal person, technically. It's 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 because her children have royal blood because they're half Fritz. And like that to me was was crazy. Um that again, like the whole concept of controlling the founding titan and, and controlling Emir is through royal blood is because she's a slave to commands from the royal bloodline, not because she is of the royal bloodline. So technically, Aaron is of royal blood. Uh, if I all mean, Eldians are descended from the bloodline that King Fritz established with Emir. Yeah, that is kind of weird to think about. Maybe like direct descendants. 
versus like branched off of, like you know how you have extended family members uh yeah but you also have like your immediate quote-unquote immediate family that you can mm-hmm. trace maybe that's the difference it's probably the same as like any it's probably like how we, you could technically say everyone is related to each other yeah i mean that's probably how like other kingdoms or like you know the emperor of japan like that's the quote-unquote same bloodline but it's probably because you're tracing a single line mm. of that bloodline um i think it's pretty common among you know empires and whatnot and then we also find out that the reason that Titan powers can only be passed down by eating another Titan as a Titan is because Ymir's kids ate her, including the spinal fluid. I was yeah. just wondering, like, why that was the reason that you could become a Titan wielder was, like, through eating a, a person who has the Titan powers as you're a Titan yourself. And here's the explanation for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got my answer now. But yeah, I, I just think it's so weird to think that Emir wasn't an Eldian. Like, like, they've been telling us for a while now that it's the Eldians that did this. And yes, they did. And they've been shitty for a long time. And now we kind of get a sense as to why the whole world is like, these atrocities that the Eldians committed. I'm like, yeah, I kind of see it now. Like, they, they were pretty shitty people. Yeah. So moving on past the, the Emir backstory, we come back to present day. Which it's been a while. It, I don't think we visited the present day since like two episodes, two episodes ago. ago yeah, yeah. and so we, we we return to this moment and we see aaron's head and zeke's hands again touching someone with royal blood and that's when the spine grows on aaron and fuses him back together and prevents him from dying i guess yeah which makes me wonder what happened to zeke because zeke was in proximity when aaron i'm i'm assuming this is aaron's founding titan form that we see manifest probably and and i'm also wondering about a lot of people actually because there's no fucking way gabby didn't get blown away by the force of that rubble coming down when the rumbling was happening i mean they they show us an outward shot like from a field looking in looking at the kingdom or or paradise or whatever and like the forces the air pushing out like the grass and the trees as the walls coming down she's literally right next to the wall you're telling me she survived that she would have been mm. blown away like 10 miles down the road or something like that because she's just a tiny human against this enormous wall that's coming down, all this rubble. And but she survived. <laughs> well, also keep in mind, Connie and John were closest to Aaron and Zeke too. So they were probably caught in that blast zone. True. And Falco was still alive. We'll, we'll do a yeah. rundown in a second of everyone that we saw that was alive. But there's it's, a lot of people yeah. who I think logically should have been blown away or crushed and somehow weren't. Yeah. It's also crazy that this all happened in an instant in the real world time. Right. Of Aaron and, and Zeke and Paz. Or yeah. Like uh, that took place across like, what, two episodes of so 40 minutes to us or whatever. But in the. In Paradis's time, there is no pause, right? They they see Aaron's head get chopped off, and then it, it immediately gets connected by the by that um whatever that the, what did I call it the source of all living things the spiny thing right it's just mind blowing again just how time is working right now and this is where the the eye catch comes in which is pretty late in the episode. And if you pause it and read it, it says, according to legend, the founder, Emir, obtained the power of the Titans when coming into contact with, quote unquote, something. And for me, like, I'm good. For me, that's all I need to know. You do not need to explain what that spiny thing was. I think that's getting too deep into the weeds of the lore. 
if we never find out what that spiny thing was that fused with Emir's spine a spiny thing spine um i'm totally fine with that it's kind of the, that concept of like sometimes you just have to accept something for the way that it is in a show and just be okay with not getting additional explanation because it just doesn't make sense to get more context like you don't always need context around everything or do you feel differently do you want to know the backstory of that spiny thing we'll just keep going with backstories <laughs> <laughs> oh I, I feel like it might be revealed at some point like what this thing represents or like how it was formed but on the flip side i i could be okay with not knowing yeah i think like if we get context I, i'd be totally fine with that um but i'd also sleep soundly with just knowing that it's quote unquote something that no again this inexplicable thing that that existed under this tree that happened to come into contact with emir and start the the flow of history because again like i feel like are we getting too deep into the lore of Attack on Titan, if we now take time to explain where the spiny thing came from, and then does that open up a whole door? Like, if it's an alien, does that open up a whole door for, like, another part of the lore where they're, like, aliens exist on another planet <laughs> and it came down to Earth accidentally? Like, it's almost too much where it takes away from this world that Isayama has built. I don't know. Maybe, like, um, to put it scientifically, this thing is just an organism that all other living things were created from. Yeah, that could be. And then it, maybe in just this moment, it, it just happened to evolve Ymir into a, a giant-ass titan. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, let me help you out, drowning girl. Yeah. I'll save you. <laughs> um, and I mentioned earlier about my thalassophobia. Shout out to the people with megalophobia because they must have had a hard time watching the rumbling, seeing the colossals and like the giant spiny Aaron titan walking in the distance because it was kind of freaky to see how big <laughs> that thing was. I got to say, them wall titans... They kind of be looking like walking prime ribs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just me calling again, just uh, calling out CGI. It's not terrible. I'll say it's not as bad as the Demon Slayer's meat train. They were so, so shiny though. The colossal. Yeah. Like, why were they shiny? Like we've never seen a shiny Titan before. It was kind of weird. Uh, yeah, I, uh, to me it was just seeing their movements kind of robotic. Although. Again, I will credit Mappa for still creating a very terrifying scene because this is the stuff of nightmares, right? You, you have Aaron growing this this strange spiny creature. You have all of these wall titans that are coming out of the walls and like a, like a hellish red uh, sky against all this very dark cinematography as we see the rumbling begin. It's, it was spooky. It, it really was. Um, and in that moment, we see Armin and Mikasa talking to each other. And I think you showed me this really funny meme on Twitter where like, Armin's <laughs> trying to talk to Mikasa. And someone put the caption as like Mikasa saying, bitch, what? Because she can't hear what he's saying. She's like, huh? Speak up, bitch, what? And she holds her hand up to her. <laughs> it's which so funny. I, mean, it's, it's, um, I like how they included that because, yeah, you probably couldn't hear someone in that moment with all these walls crumbling down. Yeah, it was a very logical like choice. I, I appreciate it. it. It almost brought me more into the, the environment, like helped with my immersion, because that makes sense that she's like, I cannot hear you over the sound of these walls and these, <laughs> these colossal titans all like stomping around everywhere. It's like that uh, scene in Shazam. I think you know what I'm talking about. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was Just pretty good. Putting context into these situations. I enjoy realistic humor like that. <laughs> so Aaron, or Aaron, Armin is talking or trying to talk to Mikasa anyway, and he's basically going from, Aaron did it. Like, he he's successful. He's got our backs to, oh, shit, Aaron did it. <laughs> I love the transition on Armin's face when he realizes, like, wait, is this really a good thing? Because <laughs> that's also when, when Aaron fucking at everyone in the Discord chat. He like yeah. adds everyone <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I'm Aaron Yeager. You don't know me, but I'm here to destroy the world. And it's at this part that we get confirmation that the following people are still alive. This is who we actually caught when we paused the, the different scenes. Gabby, of course, Peak is still alive. Flock, Falco, face down, <laughs> pass the fuck out, but at least baby Falco is still alive. Reiner, the Browse family. Um, Shaddis, a.k.a. Potato Sergeant, is still alive. Connie and John are still alive. Uh, I I think you mentioned this. Annie's dad is still mm-hmm. alive. And Historia is still alive. And she's still sitting in the goddamn rocking chair. <laughs> yeah. Annie's dad, I believe, is the one you see the groceries uh, spilled next to him. And there's a cane on the, f- uh, on the sand next to him as well. Right. That's right. Um, and I think Aaron says to his, uh, his at everyone message, that until every last life beyond our shores is wiped out is like when he'll he'll stop this stampede of colossal titans. I can only imagine being an Eldian outside of Paradise being like, wait, what? Because <laughs> they're all outside of those shores of Paradise. Well, they're also sequestered in the the ghetto in Marley. So maybe like Aaron knows like I, I won't attack this area. It's just everything around it. Yeah, but he is saying every last life beyond our shores. Yeah, that's and so if I'm an true. Eldian in Marley, I'd be like, well, fuck you me, gotta, I guess. Yeah, get out of Dodge. <laughs> um, last thing I wanted to say about this part, I can only imagine as well, like being an Eldian and not being in the know of what the fuck is going on with Aaron Yeager. Like it, it's got to be so confusing as to what the fuck is happening. Imagine you're taking a shit. I was about to say. <laughs> at the moment that Aaron Yeager broadcasts to all of the Eldians and then pulls them all into paths together. What if you're on the fucking toilet and you're sitting there on the toilet because Historia's on her chair. Historia's sitting on a rocking chair. Imagine being on your fucking toilet mid-shit and all of a sudden you've got like a thousand other Eldians in this like sand world and you hear Aaron (laughs) Yeager say he's going to kill you and your family and you're just like, I don't know what is happening right now. So you got to send the calendar invites out first, <laughs> date and time. Um, I forgot. Uh, there's a callback to Historia uh, with Emir's story because we see Emir um, sitting on a porch uh, pregnant. And we saw that same shot with Historia um, in the part one. Yeah, when everyone was wondering who the fuck knocked her up. Yeah. It's, well, that's still it's a- the stable boy, okay? <laughs> the, the, the guy from the barn that she talked about. Oh, yeah, that's another outstanding question. Who the fuck impregnated Historia? What, really, what were our like, questions? Um, what was, our, oh, what's Aaron's plan? Yeah. And? Uh, the Mikasan arming thing we got an answer to. Oh, Annie. Annie and the crystal. All right. So add on who impregnated Historia. That, that's <laughs> the fourth question that I think we forgot to, to include. Uh, we also got a soft confirmation here that Ackermans are indeed Eldian since Mikasa appeared in paths. I think that was a question that was on my mind. Um, that reminds me where my boy Levi at. We didn't yeah, see and or Hunch. Hunch. Yeah, Hunch. Yeah, they is, up to? This is episode five, six. Uh, I think episode five. Yeah, five episodes in, and we still don't know what the fuck is Levi's fate. 
know, he, he might. I, I'm, I'm thinking he's gonna pull through and whip Aaron back into shape as he has done the, in the past. The only one who can. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, a question related to the Ackermans. Um, did they ever explain in the show how closely related Mikasa and Levi are? If they both are actual Ackermans, do we know if like we can trace their their family lines to see like are they cousins are they like super extended ackermans where there really is like very little uh relation there i don't think so again as i was browsing the attack on titan wiki late at night um on certain nights um it never made mention of whether or not mikasa and levi are related they've got to be related to to some extent right like Mm -hmm. And we've never heard of any other Ackermans besides Kenny, like active Ackermans um, besides Kenny, right? Yeah, I don't remember Mikasa or Levi even mentioning this to each other on the show. Yeah, I think there was like a quick moment, maybe it was in season one or season two, where someone mentioned, oh, Ackerman, like you guys have the same last name. And that was it. I, I, I remember if if that actually happened i hope I'm not like uh what is it gaslighting everybody <laughs> but mm. i feel like i remember that happening because i thought to myself yeah why aren't they talking about that more well maybe it's like you know certain names like like smith in the real world you, you might not be related to another smith true <laughs> but later on they find out that ackermans are a big deal and they are connected yeah. to the titans and to the royal bloodline so at that point you'd think that levi and mikasa would be like so what family members do we have in common? Yeah. They're, they're a pretty big deal, I think. I don't know. Maybe that'll get answered. Yeah. How many of oh, like the seven episodes that are left? There are so many questions. Honestly, I imagine that there are going to be some of these questions, like the Ackerman relation thing that just may go unanswered. And similar to the spiny alien thing, just being a quote unquote something, I'm okay with that. Like we could just have our own fan theories about how close or, or not closely related Mikasa and Levi are. Well, there's the manga. You could always re- brush up on it after the show is concluded. No manga spoilers, please. But if someone just wants to drop us a yes or no about whether or not they dive into this more into the manga, that's all I need to know. No spoilers, just a yes or no of whether or not it actually gets talked about in the manga. Is that is that fair? Is that safe? Yeah. <laughs> You're looking kind of scared. Okay, <laughs> just kidding. Just message me separately on the Discord. <laughs> couple more things uh, before we wrap up here that I want to bring up. Uh, I guess two callbacks. One, uh, remember last episode I mentioned in the season one finale when Aaron had his like bloodlust moment against Annie, one of the things that he said in his Attack Titan form was wanting to destroy the entire world. Well, there you go. There you fucking <laughs> go. <laughs> um, second callback is with the rumbling activated you see again all the wall titans coming out of the walls and it looks like most of them once they are outside of uh shiganshina they walk in a straight line towards wherever aaron's founding titan form leads them to uh there was actually i want to say that season two ed um kind of prophesized this moment as well because there is a row of these, I assume, like, Eldians. They're not in Titan form, but they are, like, of colossal stature, also walking in line towards a horizon. And I think that was supposed to symbolize the rumbling. Linked horizon. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Although I think they were named prior to this show happening. 
Um, some questions I have that we might see um, now that the rumbling is upon us is are these actual humans, uh, these titans that have just stood unconsciously within the walls? Um, maybe, or maybe they were created by Emir because yeah. she was building them with the sand. That's true. Maybe they are just alive of their own accord. And I'm wondering if they have specific powers or abilities. I mean, they all look like the colossal titan, but I don't know if that means they have, they can have the steam coming out of their bodies or. You know what I, just... sorry, I <laughs> didn't mean to interrupt, but you know that what I just thought about, like if Armin, Armin's been hell bent, right? About trying to get to Aaron so he can talk to him. What if he turns into a colossal and just kind of sneaks into the line of colossal titans that are part of the rumbling and like slowly makes his way out to Aaron? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, hey, Aaron, <laughs> can I talk to you really quick? Just like one of those those moments you see in movies where someone tries to blend in with the crowd. Like That's what Armin does. It's a colossal. He just blends yeah. in with the crowd. <laughs> I can see that happening. Uh, Armin's pretty big brain for that. I would love to see that happen. <laughs> Also, Aaron's, uh, like, I don't know if this is his founding Titan form, but you see an image of his Titan form, and it looks drastically different from how his attack Titan looks. It looks even more sinister than before. You're and talking about that closing shot of the episode? Yeah, where it even has that TV static on it um, to make him look, maybe that was his Zoom camera on. Or, I don't know. But <laughs> He's yeah, got a filter on. It just, it looks like this is Aaron's Titan form at its most sinister and that was a great way to uh, to end th- this episode. He's got the ugly. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it full circle to that SpongeBob reference. And then the last thing I want to call it is, is the music. Uh, I think the YouTube channel for Pony Canyon, um, they released the full version of the track that plays during the rumbling or the beginning of the rumbling. It's called Footsteps of Doom. This is by Kota Yamamoto, the co-composer for this final season. Um, he composed alongside Hiro- Hiroyuki Sawano. I want to say Sawano was more of like like the master here, and then uh, Yamamoto was like the student. But man, this track, it it's kind of like the Diaz Ire of Attack on Titan. And for those who don't know what that yeah, means. Yeah, I was going to say, what the fuck is that? It's Latin for Day of Wrath. Um, a lot of music kind of like it it's taken from i, I want to say like a, a verse from the bible that talks about the apocalypse uh, and there have been composers throughout history that have used this as a motif for their songs i'm thinking of like beethoven or, or verdi and i want to say this is kind of like uh, attack on titan's own version of that symphony and god like just i love how the music in this series as it like it's so again orchestral it's so epic but here it just sounds so infernal kind of like the the stupid Sashomaru song I was just about to ask you <laughs> what do you think is more sinister this song or Sashomaru's theme song from Inuyasha <laughs> I mean I still feel like Sashomaru like you are getting plunged into the depths of hell <laughs> but this one it like it sets you right within the rumbling like you, I feel like this music just places you right in Shiganshina, watching these uh, wall titans emerge from from the walls and just walk around you, and you can't help but just 
cower in fear at what's going on. You know what you should do? You should set the song as your your alarm in the morning. <laughs> Nothing will way. rip you out of your sleep <laughs> like thinking you're about to die. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make mine Session Rose theme song and you can make yours this song from Attack on Titan and we'll just panic every morning. <laughs> well, what a way to wake up. But yeah, I, I can't commend enough how much I love the soundtrack in this show. Again, it just feels like like watching or like listening to a film score um, for a story that's just become more brilliant and more epic as it rolls along. Well, let's revisit the big, big question that we've been revisiting the last few episodes. So after each episode, you know, kind of shares more information about Aaron's ultimate plan, we revisit that, that theory that we have of Aaron still having the greater good at, at, at the forefront. Um, so after seeing this episode, do you still side with Aaron? Do you still believe in Aaron? Because I think our we left off on the last episode saying, yes, we still believe in Aaron. Yes, even though right now the means don't seem to justify the ends, <laughs> I still think he has Eldia's best interest in heart. Okay, so let me let me clarify. So he's got, his intentions are good, but do you think ultimately his plan is going to be the good plan, the right plan. And I know that's super subjective, but like his, his intentions are to protect people of parodies, right? Like that's a that's a, a noble cause, I guess you could say. It's a very broad thing to but say. But I guess my question is, do we still believe Aaron is the protagonist of the story? That his ultimate plan is going to leave him in that protagonist light versus the antagonist light? He's not. Do you mm. think he's becoming the villain? Do you think ultimately he will end up the villain based on what you've now learned in this episode, or do you still feel he's the hero of the story? Maybe it's just because he has become so much of an anti-hero on the surface um, that we're gonna like. It's it's becoming pretty clear, I think, to like the world that he is like their enemy. But I think, as I said with the previous episode, that Aaron is may not be protect the protagonist that everyone sees on the surface, but I think he's going to end up being like the unsung hero for Eldia. Yeah, I'm on the same page. I, I still side with Aaron. I still believe in Aaron, and I still feel like Aaron has something up his sleeve that will pleasantly surprise us all, um, despite, to your point, this episode having pretty heavy evidence that that may not be the case, but mm -hmm. we'll see. One more thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, sorry, like I, it, just going through my notes really quick. Um, with Aaron's bare bones, again, founding Titan form, do you notice that there's little protrusions coming from his back? Yeah, you asked me about this, and to me it just looks like a porcupine. Or like a sea <laughs> urchin is on his back. See, the way I looked at it is it, it looks very similar to the Wings of Freedom emblem of the Scouts. So I don't know if it's Aaron's... Again, his new Titan form starting to uh, sprout wings. Can you imagine if it sprouts wings and this giant-ass spiny thing just flies <laughs> into the sky and, like, goes away? That would be a crazy-ass image. It's just, it just, like, wings come popping out of this, like, I don't even know, this dinosaur-looking Titan, and he just fucking flies away. Well, he it just makes flies me, away. It makes me think of something that was said... I think it was the second episode of this final season um, when Marley's like uh, generals and officers are meeting is that Titans have yet to command the sky. 
So you you think Aaron's <laughs> giant ass titan well, is gonna fly into the sky yeah, like a the, dinosaur or a dragon? Yeah, everyone's gonna look up like they're looking at Mothra or something. <laughs> I'm trying to visualize this in the most graceful way possible, and I cannot see how Mappa can possibly animate that thing flying in a way that won't make audiences laugh for cringe it's gonna be so funny but to your point metaphorically yes i could see that like maybe he is it's it's like his will of trying to the escape wings of freedom yeah the birds that we constantly get especially in this last season i i understand where you're going with it but i cannot picture it in my head maybe a more artistic person can draw it and make it look beautiful so that i can be convinced but no i'm, I'm scared i'm gonna cringe if he starts to fly into the sky i'm thinking back to batman begins oh here's my batman reference now. oh god uh, we've hit them all now <laughs> wait we still need a harry potter reference oh, yeah, that's true <laughs> but for batman begins there's a point where where uh, I think uh, in the Narrows of Gotham, they have like the fear toxin. I'm spoiling Batman Begins. I'm sorry, but there's a fear toxin that there is injected or like they breathe in and they look at Batman flying in the sky and he just looks like this terrifying monster. That's how I figure this is going to be. So who knows? Maybe I'm just reading into it too much, but... Here, wait, let me hit you with another Batman reference. What's that quote? You either die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain i was gonna use that in my final thoughts oh, but, oh, oh, oh. i oh, spoiled well. it <laughs> it's okay you saw into the future yes i used my attack titan <laughs> abilities um so speaking of the future let's talk about the preview the episode title is thaw i mean mm. is this when annie finally returns if anything would wake annie up it would be the fucking rumbling and aaron speaking to her telepathically i mean come on if that doesn't wake her up i know it didn't wake falco up but like he just turned into a titan if that doesn't wake annie up i don't know what will yeah i don't think they're talking about waiting for the snow and ice to thaw outside <laughs> here in the <laughs> chicagoland area uh, i'm just picturing like if this is if this episode title does refer to Annie, although you mostly just see shots of these scouts taking down the Titans, uh, the pure Titans that uh, Zeke formed out of the commanders. Probably because um, they don't want to give us anything about Annie. Yeah. Although they fucking spoiled the Sasha thing with the, the title Assassin's Bullet or whatever. Yeah. And then you, you kind of see shots of the pure Titans coming up to where the anti-Marlian volunteers are, where uh, Yelena's standing. Yeah, and Mikasa's fighting some of them. Yeah. Which is uh, cool. We're going to get some some ODM gear, like, neck yeah. slicing, I think, in the next episode. Yeah, back to that uh, scouts flying through the air action. Um, but was it? Oh, I was going to say, like, I just imagine, you know, Annie breaking out of her shell, and she's like, what I miss? <laughs> <laughs> she looks around. She's, oh, it's like the, the fucking meme from Avengers where Paul Rudd comes oh, back. Right. And then, I, mean, I don't want to spoil it too much for, no, for anyone who hasn't seen it, but Paul Rudd comes back, and he's like, hey, kid what the hell happened here? That's going to be Annie. She's like, hey, Armin, what the hell happened here? <laughs> yeah, if this is in reference to Annie, I am very curious what she is going to bring to the story. And what her excuse is for bailing out for yeah. seasons and seasons. <laughs> she probably just, maybe she had the same mentality as Ryan. She's like, fuck this. I don't want to be part of this anymore. But, I wouldn't blame her. <laughs> but instead of her wanting to die, she just want to do it, go into cryogenic sleep until she thinks it's all over. I wonder if Armin will confess to her. I know Aaron said like, oh, Armin, you have feelings for Annie because you have Bertolt's memories, but I'm pretty sure he had a crush on her back when they were cadets. Yeah, doesn't the community ship them? Yeah, 
like when John had his crush on Mikasa, and he may still, I think that's around the time that Armin had his crush on Annie or something like that. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm down for that. Let's let's see it happen. <laughs> she comes out of the the crystal, and then Armin's like, "Marry me." <laughs> oh, she just she just needs to come out of the crystal already because the show's almost done and she hasn't done anything. Watch, that's the one thread that Isayama doesn't close for us. She's just in the crystal for all eternity. Like, yeah, the, that's the, it. That's all you get. Yeah, every, like the world's blown to bits. She wakes up and is like she's what floating the hell in space because the Earth is gone. Yeah, <laughs> what I miss. <laughs> oh God! All right, well, let's do it. Final thoughts. All right, so our final thoughts for Attack on Titan, the final season, episode 80, from you 2,000 years ago. So how many walls that come rumbling down out of 10 will you give this episode? 10 out of 10, absolutely. Again, I think it's epic in a very different way from episode 78 and 79, um, but the the mind-blowing aspects that we got through the reveals about Emir's what what actually happened with Emir I think are just impressive and they're they're still sticking with me and seeing the way that they they portrayed the rumbling I thought it was perfect I, I thought it was um exactly as epic as we needed it to be because they've been building up the rumbling for how long now that that mm-hmm. that was kind of scary for me I thought shit like we've been talking about the rumbling for a while and the only thing that could ruin this faster is if Mappa didn't do a good job of portraying it. If it just looked cheesy or just didn't feel as epic as people kept or characters kept talking about it. But no, I think they they hit the nail on the head. They did a fantastic job. And I was thoroughly impressed with everything in this episode. What about you? Yeah, I think this is three in a row now. I'm going to have to give this one 10 out of 10. It may not be as eye-opening, no pun intended, as Two Brothers or Memories of the Future, but this is still a damn good episode that leaves an immeasurable impact. I guess no pun intended there. Colossal <laughs> 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 t- or Wall Titans stomping down. Um, this episode is kind of like if Zeke threw down one more reverse card in his Uno match with Aaron. But then Aaron suddenly slams down a chessboard and says checkmate because because Aaron changed the fucking game. <laughs> and so I mean I'm it was just so fascinating to see all of this play out and and to finally see the rumbling and to realize that in the end Aaron won, but at what cost, right? It's kind of like, what's the lesser of two evils here, exterminating the Eldians or exterminating the world? It makes you wonder if Eren's really going to break the cycle of violence that has plagued Eldia's history for centuries with this one infernal curtain call. And even though I still hold out a, a sliver of hope that Eren has everyone's best interest in mind, I got Courtney kind of spoiled this, but I've been overdue for a Dark Knight reference, so Oops. here it is. <laughs> Will Eren die a hero? Or will he live long enough to see himself become the villain? I think regardless, we're in the end game now. It is too late to repent and ask for forgiveness. For we are now sinners in the hands of an angry Aaron. <laughs> Wait, okay. I'm so sorry. I know we're about to wrap things up. But can I ask another question that I totally forgot to ask earlier? Sure. Okay, let's take you back and take everyone back to um, the discussion around Emir's backstory and the three daughters passing on the the Titan powers. How did we land at eight Titans plus the founder? Like that shows us like three descendants of Emir. 
But how did we get to eight titans total that are like special titans? I want to say the, the powers probably evolved over time, like from the three of them. I figure like because there's three times three, like there's <laughs> three, six, and nine. But then wouldn't like every descendant like still have the founding titan power? No, yeah, or? we would have like a unique titan versus just pure titans. Like why are we at eight special titans? I can't remember what they're called, but special titans plus the founder versus like an infinite number of special titans that like every Eldian has a fucking unique, like, like a quirk or like a, a stand power or something. Maybe it has to do with how much like the royal blood like kept going. I don't like... I don't know. Like, I, have, yeah. I have no idea. So I think that that's a, an un unanswered question from this episode is how we landed at founder plus eight versus founder plus three because of the three daughters. Yeah. Also, did we ever see the daughters transform into Titans? I don't think so. No. I assume they have the power, but... We, we got shots of uh, the nine Titan shifters. I think like there was a panning shot of them as King Fritz was talking about extending his lineage. So... I, that's what I was saying. I, I don't know if like the royal blood stopped um, in in that spreading of the the Titan power at some point. I, like I'm figuring like royal blood has to do with the Titan powers evolving, and then the the royal blood just starts to get breeded out, and that's where you just get pure Titans. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, your your guess is as good as mine because I, I don't think they've given us any clarity around that unless they did back in like a previous season and we're just not putting two and two together um if anyone does know that's not going to be a manga spoiler um you can you can let us know but maybe we'll get confirmation about that down the road in the anime so we'll keep that on our list of open-ended questions along with the the big questions that we've got but sorry to uh derail our, our closing here Thank you guys, as always, for joining us for yet another Attack on Titan review episode. Hopefully this one was more coherent than our previous one. I think we did a decent job in the previous episode of explaining our, our interpretations or our theories. But thank you to everyone who reached out and shared your interpretations or shared some clarifying information with us because it was very, very helpful and we appreciate it. And keep them coming. Like even if we if you're theories or opinions are different from ours i think it's always rewarding to hear things from different perspectives again that's the theme i feel for this final season is perception and perspective and seeing things from a different point of view there's my other star wars reference from a certain <laughs> point of view i want to uh, want to correct myself but yeah like I, I love hearing everyone's thoughts on what they think certain things are on the show and, and we'd love to to hear it um, whether you reach out to us through social media or even through our discord so keep them coming yes everything short of manga spoilers please yes <laughs> yeah thank you so much guys we we appreciate you keep reaching out to us and that wraps up this special episode of strictly anime if you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every monday and when new AOT episodes are released every Wednesday. Join our Discord to continue the conversation. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. And check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you'll find more info on Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Sasageyo. Shinzo wo sasageyo.
Now this is a story all about how her life got twist turned upside down. So I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how Emer fell into a world of despair in a quaint little village where she was born and raised. Fuck, hold on. <laughs> you were going so strong. <laughs>